Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 45 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 18th of July 2010, entitled God, the Holy Spirit, a Review, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, let me invite you to open your Bibles this evening for our scripture reading the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to try to get about three or four hours preaching into 30 or 40 minutes. (laughs) We did pretty good this morning. We covered probably five or six hours in about 45 or 50 minutes, but uh, if you weren't here, then uh, our purpose today is continuing and getting back on track with our series that we have and have started over a year ago on contending for the faith. And of course, we revamped a lot of those things this morning. Let me say this before I even begin this evening. I'm going to be saying a lot of things and reading a lot of scriptures without a whole lot of explanation because it took several messages to cover the material we're looking at here this evening. And if you miss those, then I hope it can whet your appetite and you'll go and you'll get the full sermons because you can download them online and you can list them to in their fullness. But we're trying to review and bring ourselves up to the point to where God willing next Sunday We'll be finishing up on the Holy Spirit and then moving on to another fundamental of the faith. And so this evening, God willing, we're going to be looking at this subject of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, I invite you to stand with, with me to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, we thank you this evening as we look into your word once again. Lord, we pray that you might use these thoughts this evening. You know the hearts of each one that is here. We pray, Lord, that your word would not return into you void. We pray by the power of the very Spirit whom we're speaking about here this evening that you might make these words alive unto each and every heart, or that the lost might be convicted and see and recognize and respond to their need for salvation, that every Christian, Lord, We come to recognize their need to be totally controlled in every aspect of their life by the Holy Spirit who lives within. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, as we look this evening at this thought, we look this morning at the practice that related to conversion, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This evening we look back at this one that relates to control, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course... We've said many times that certainly it is an area, just as with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of the filling of the Holy Spirit are some that bring about a lot of confusion. And granted, especially if you take verses from here and from there, and if you read those verses with preconceived ideas, then many times it can be confusing. But the Word of God is not meant to be confusing. And as we saw this morning, and as we saw in recent times more specifically, when we looked at the very purpose of the Holy Spirit being here with us, two of those things deal directly with one with 
teaching us all things and guiding us and leading us into all truth. And of course, certainly with this subject, that's what God wants. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers. I know dear brothers and sisters in Christ that disagree with me, but as we looked this morning, we looked at every passage, not just one, but we looked at every passage where the Bible even mentions and speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that in conjunction with what we have already read about what Jesus Christ himself said was the very purpose in the Holy Spirit being sent. And so we find as we look here this evening, we want to keep those things in mind. But as we look here in verse 18, and as I've already said, I'm going to be reading a lot of passages. I'm going to hopefully remind and refresh those when we've gone through this in more detail and prepare us as we move on next week and consider other things about the Holy Spirit. But if you're here this evening, we find here in this verse, and we've already gone through it in detail, but, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The first thing we see is that there is a command to be filled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that should be optional to Christians. It is something that we will either obey God and be filled with His Spirit, or we will disobey Him And rather than his spirit filling and controlling us, we will control ourselves in the flesh. The command. He actually gives us a double command here, and I'm not going to spend time. The command of prohibition was be not drunk. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And again, we talked about that in in, in great detail. It's not coincidence that he puts these two things here in the Bible together. You know, you take wine or alcoholic drink, and when you begin to drink it, guess what? It begins to take control. You know, to start with, it's just a little bit. Oh, I'm just feeling a little relaxed. I'm just feeling this or feeling that. And the more of it that you take in, guess what? The greater it takes control of you. It's a substance that you put in your body. Well, we're being prohibited to allow our bodies to be controlled by such things as alcohol, but rather we have not only a command of prohibition, but this command of potential, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk. Wherein that is, is excess. And we talked about all those things about that, that word excess, that it means to be reckless, that it means to be wasteful, that it means to be wicked, that it means to be sinful. You don't need something to control your life, which is going to lead you into those things, but be filled with the Spirit of God. A clear, concise command that is being given to every child of God, that is being given to every believer. And we find as we look here that this command, if you'll recall, it's not something that means just be filled and that's it. We find that in the, the original, it's what is called a continuous action. It literally, if we translate it literally in English, it's be being filled or just keep on being filled. It's something that should happen, but it should continue to happen. It shouldn't just happen and be a spurt and then stop. Is something that should begin and just keep on and keep on. We should continually be filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we find the example in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Now, of course, as we begin to look at these things, the next thing that we talked about We talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit is not only the command that we have to to be filled, but the control of those who are filled. You see, 
this evening you can either choose as a believer, because we saw this morning that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens when you're converted. That has to do with your conversion into the family of God. But once that's happened and you are in the family of God, then you are commanded to continually be filled with the Spirit of God. Of course, to be filled, we must remind ourselves that as we have already seen, again, as we take things in their context and look at all the Bible says, one of the first things that we established after the very promise that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit was that He is a person. He is a person of the Trinity. He is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And so to be filled with Him doesn't mean to get a bit more of Him. You either have Him living and dwelling in you or you don't. We find that as we begin to look here, though, I use the illustration when we're looking here of sometimes when we think of filling something up, we tend to think of material things like filling that glass up with water or uh, we stop at the petrol station and we fill the tank up with fuel or something like that. But the Holy Spirit is not material. He's a person. And so the first thing we saw is what does he mean? to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been commanded to be filled. Well, to be filled, first of all, is to be controlled. Literally, the word here, filled, in your Bible, when he says be filled, it means what wholly takes possession of you. That's what the word, in other words, let the Holy Spirit wholly take possession of you. We use this in other ways when we talk about a person being filled with fear or filled with something, when something takes possession of them. Well, that's precisely what he's saying to us here. We know that it's not possible to sometimes, I guess, when we get our minds fixed in certain areas, we get our minds on certain things, it's not always easy to get those things out. And even, even many of the songs that are sung today talks about, you know, the Spirit coming down and the Spirit coming to us and all these things which folks really... It's not biblical. You know, if we're singing as believers, He's already there. He's already here. We don't need Him to come down. We need Him to do that within us, which He has come to do, His purpose, which He has come to fulfill, which is what we want to see. We find that, uh, uh, again, as we uh, begin to look at this, to be controlled by that. But notice that it doesn't mean just to be controlled. What holy takes possession? You know, you can, you know, so many times in our lives, uh, we can try to give control, but at the same time, we want to retain control at the same time. So many times when God is dealing with our lives, we want to say, it's easy to say we want God to take control, but it's not easy to go. It's not easy just to let God do what God wants to do and forget about what we want and forget about our plans and all of the things that, that we have somehow set out for ourselves. God, just do what you want to do. That's precisely. I reminded you of the illustration. I touched on it this morning when we went through this passage. You know, there's a big difference when somebody comes and if they come to your house as a guest, well, you would think something pretty strange if you had a guest in your home and you came down the next morning and they were moving all the furniture around in your living room and they had cleared everything out of the kitchen and put them in different cabinets and all these things as if they owned the place is what you'd probably say. Because when somebody's a temporary guest, they haven't taken possession. They shouldn't be taking control of those things. 
But when you move in somewhere yourself, which that's what we saw this morning, the Holy Spirit has moved in. He's taken up dwelling within us. The question is, as he's come in, are we treating him as if he is a temporary guest that we're still calling the shots because this is us, this is my body? Or is he a permanent resident that has taken control, that's in charge of every area, and he can move things around the way he wants to, and he can put them where he wants to put them? You see, there's a huge, huge difference. To be filled with the Spirit, it's not for us to control him, but it's for him to control control us. It's not the work of man. Everything that we've seen about the Holy Spirit is it is for the continuing of the work of Christ on this earth. That's his purpose, is that the work of Christ be carried on, not just in the one man that walked sinless upon this, this earth and then died upon the cross for our sins, but that his work carries on through each and every one of us as he indwells us and lives within us to complete the work that he came to accomplish and to do. Being filled, being controlled by the Spirit. It's not a work of man. It's a work of God upon man. But, preacher, you talk about saying that, you know, this is an act of the will. This is something, well, the act is for us just to submit. <laughs> you know, the act is not for us to do. The act is for us to let Him do. It's an act upon our will in, in letting go and literally just let Him do what He wants to do being filled or controlled by the Spirit. It's not the result of all the tears that we might shed. It's not the result of all of the agonizing and asking and all of these things that we might do. It's being acted upon by the Holy Spirit in us wholly, completely giving Him control, continually submitting ourselves to Him, not trying to argue, not trying to take back when it's taken us a, an area that, that frightens us or that we're unsure of. We find that we're commanded to be filled, to be wholly possessed, to be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I challenge you, look at everything that the Word of God says about being filled by the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about us being wholly, totally, completely controlled by God that lives within us. When Paul was preaching on Mars Hills, he said in Acts 17, 30, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, for those that are lost, for those that have never repented and never put their, their true faith in Jesus Christ, God commands you to repent. What does it mean? God commands you to turn from your sin. Repentance is not about how you feel. Repentance is about seeing your sin as God sees it and turning from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ. God commands that you repent, that you turn from your sin, and only then can you put your saving faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. And, of course, that's when we're baptized in the Spirit. But here, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we said a lot of things, and you can go back and listen to those on the tape, but what I want to refresh your mind is all those things that we looked at is this idea that being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is genuinely when we are saved, when we are baptized into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, that he is a permanent resident, that he is in control, wholly in control of our lives. You see, when we're still controlling it, amen. Didn't know I could make music while I was preaching. <laughs> when we're still controlling our destinies, when we're still controlling our lives, then the simple truth is God's not in control. We need to take everything back, and we need to truly, completely give him control of our lives. Now, I want to remind you, I gave you these this morning, and all I'm going to do is just give them to me. What was the purpose that Jesus Christ sent? I'm not saying this was an exhaustive list. I'm saying that as we look in the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and as we move into 16, we see Jesus Christ promising when he leaves that he's going to send the Spirit, and he tells us why he's going to send him, the transferring of Christ's work from the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that body now being the church, all those that are born again, which is visible only in the local bodies, the transferring from the one person, the one man Jesus, to that same Jesus, still accomplishing his work, but not in one life, that he has control of your life, that he has control of my life, that he has control. He is the head of our church, and we are the body that is being used for that work to be accomplished, the transferring of Christ's work, the tendency, him moving in, taking control of the believer, the teaching of God's word, the testifying of Christ. The Holy Spirit's purpose was not to brag on himself or to show himself, but that Jesus Christ, that we might be effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ for the transforming of sinners. There is absolutely no other way with all the religion and all the best intentions and everything else in the world without the Holy Spirit transforming that life. There is no way that a child of God can be, that a person can become a child of God without that transforming work for the transmitting of all truth, for the targeting of Christ's glory. It's all done. Not so somebody can think what a, what a nice Christian that I am. What a caring person that I am. But that they might know that Jesus Christ is glorified. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, that he's the one that might be magnified, that he's the one that might be seen. And that's the way it should happen in our lives. Not that they see what a good Christian we are, but they see Christ through us. We find that as we looked at those things, we must keep those things in mind as we look at the consequences of being filled, and as we look at those things, and we discussed a lot of things, but we then moved to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't turn and read this passage. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, we read about the temptation of Christ when he was taken on the mount. But one thing that I pointed out to you at that time, that Jesus Christ, when he went to that mountain, he was being led by the Spirit. Now, he faced some temptations. He faced Satan himself when he was there. But when he returned, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit when he went, and when he returned, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Folks, all of this, we're talking about our need to contend for the faith. 
We've got to stand up for those things that matter. We can't just push them aside. We can't pretend that, that they're not important. We can't just somehow have, have Christianity in name alone. It's got to own us. It's got to control us. And as we contend, just as even Jesus himself contended with Satan there on the mountain, we need the Holy Spirit to be leading us in this battle. And we need to be operating under the power of that Spirit. I'll say here once again that the problem with men is usually extremes. You see, today we've got too many churches, folks, that just try to read about the Holy Spirit and know about the Holy Spirit and have all these facts and everything down pat. But he's no more in control of their lives or in control of those churches than the man on the moon is. And on the other hand, you've got the other extreme where we find that there are those that, that make a shambles of the teachings, that credit many things to the Holy Spirit, which isn't the Holy Spirit at all. We find that many times Christians shy away because, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And if, and if I say this, why, they're going to think I'm one of those crazy people over there. Well, they're going to think you're crazy anyway. The truth is what we need is the truth, and we need to contend for that truth. We find that we looked at a lot of the consequences of being filled. You see, we look in the Word of God, and we see that Jesus is the one that promised to send the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that gave us the specific purposes, the reasons that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to us. And we saw that fulfilled, first of all, in the conversion of sinners in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when they are then. That work of Christ is transferred into that person as they become part of the body of Christ and Christ working through them. But the only way that that work can be accomplished it's through the power of the Holy Spirit having control of our lives, Christ doing what needs to be done, not what we allow Him to do. We find that we begin to look, of course, in the book of Acts. After we saw, first of all, the consequences of the filling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and of course, we could, we could read many things. We could just about sit here and read the whole book of Acts this evening, and we could see the Holy Spirit at work in so many ways. What I tried to focus your attention upon because so many times a verse is taken from here or from there and it's taken out of context. But as we look in Acts chapter 2, we find the consequences on the day of Pentecost and we can, we can read all the different things and we can read about all the things there. We can read how that, that this Holy Spirit came in as a rushing mighty wind. We can see how that they were, they were there and here they were the, the speaking of tongues that was taking place when every man from all over the world, all these Jews, the Bible says devout Jews out of every nation on earth, but they were hearing the word of God in their own language. That was the gift of languages that was used on the day of Pentecost. They could all hear about Jesus Christ in their own tongue, in their own language. Yes, what was being fulfilled was what had been prophesied by the prophet Joel. We find that as we look here, notice what we find as in chapter 2. Am I in chapter 2 there? It's all right. My pages are all falling out anyway. That's good. We find that there were a number of things that as the apostle Peter stood and preached, we find that he was preaching under a power that was not his own. And the results, of course, as we look down, notice what happened in picking up in verse 14, but Peter 
standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Here we find this illustration again. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. They're not drunk with wine. <laughs> they're not be- yes, they're being controlled by some outside force, but it's not alcohol. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord. Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a lot of signs, a lot of wonders, a lot of wonderful things that are taking place. Some of these have already taken place. Some of them are still to take place in the future. But the end result is all those calling upon the name of the Lord being saved. We find that the consequence of Peter's message, notice what happens down in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were under conviction. Was that not one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit being sent, that Peter would stand up there, that he would testify, that he would witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of Christ working through him? And then those that were hearing, they would be convicted of their sin, that they would come to realize their need. And that's precisely what took place here. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent, be saved, and you'll receive that wonderful gift, that wonderful promise of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Well, the promise, what promise? The promise of that Spirit is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call to everyone that becomes a child of God, to everyone that God calls. This promise, he says, is for you. It's for us here today. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day, there was added unto them about 3,000 souls that got saved because of the work of the Holy Spirit working through these that had put their faith and trust in Christ, that had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now were being controlled by that Holy Spirit as Christ continued to do His work. We looked at not only the consequences on Pentecost and the consequences on Peter, but we looked at the consequences on the people. Notice what he says in verse 42. What happened to all these people? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Again, the Holy Spirit has control of these people. And do you know what goes away? <laughs> All that selfish greed. <laughs> you know, I've said before, that's, that's not a recipe for communism there. Because in communism, you do what you have to do because you're told to do it because somebody else takes everything you've got and gives it to somebody else. But this is a recipe for true Christianity. When the other man's needs are more important to you than your own. When from within, it's not somebody telling you you have to do something, but because you see somebody else in need, you want to take and share and do for that other person what they need. We find here suddenly the people are caring about each other. The Bible says that they, you know, they're, they're together, they're in the temple together, they're going from each other's house, they're having fellowship together. And the Lord is adding to the church daily such as should be saved because Christ, Christ is working in their lives this is not normal. This is not the way that the flesh itself is trained to work. But we find when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when they were being controlled by God instead of themselves, and suddenly all those differences, they're together. They're united in one accord, caring for one another, loving one another, and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. The consequences. And of course... <laughs> As often, you know, the Bible says that you're not going to live a godly life without suffering persecution. You can live a life without suffering persecution. You can claim to be a Christian, but you won't live godly without facing persecutions. You know why? You're not going to live godly in front of your, sorry about this, your ungodly friends. Many of them want nothing to do with God. You're not going to live godly in front of them. Christ is not going to really be in control and be being testified and being seen in your life and then feel happy about that and then feel good about that. Well, the truth is they don't need to feel good about themselves. And if your being there is making them feel good about themselves and something's wrong, I don't go around. I, I love, I've still got many of my friends that I love dearly before I became a Christian. I still love them and I want to see them saved. But folks, they wouldn't be very comfortable doing the things that I do a lot of times and in the places, and I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable in the places that they are. doesn't mean I don't love them. It just means we have different lives. The Bible says, you know, they're not going to be happy. And guess what happened to the church? When God was in control, when Christ was doing his work through these people, through this group of people that were in one accord together through the Holy Spirit, they came under persecution, didn't they? Notice what happens down in chapter 4. Suddenly we find that, and as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, and it was now eventide. What's happening? Well, basically, <laughs> Peter and John are being thrown into prison <laughs> because of standing up and preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't like it, the Bible says, that they were preaching, and particularly that they were preaching that Jesus Christ had rose from the dead. So therefore, they're thrown into prison. We find that you can read on down and you can find all the, the things that they went through there. 
we find that Peter stands before this Sanhedrin, and he addresses them. And notice, notice what he said down in verse 10, be it known unto you all. Now, these are the men that have got his life and his destiny in his hand. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Speaking of the one that healed. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Listen, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They've been pulled in because of what they're preaching. And what does he do? He still stands there. The Lord Jesus Christ is being testified through power and boldness to these men as they stand there before them. Notice, again, you can read down in, in this same chapter. You can begin down in verse 23 and notice what it had on the people's prayers. He says here in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their company and reported that what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Peter and John, they go back to the people, they tell them what's going on. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. The people, they're united just as they were. They're united. And they're united not only in spirit, they're united in prayer here. We find that not only are they united in prayer, but they're united in their possessions. As you can read down in verses 32 through 27, you can find that these people have changed because the Holy Spirit has come in. It also has an effect on the people's problems down in chapter 6. I mean, these were the Christian people. They were in the church. But what was happening? Well, there began to be some, some murmurings and some uh, discouragement amongst them because that, that some of the widows and these were not being taken care of like they ought to. So how are they to solve their problem? Verse 3 of chapter 6, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of what? Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this. You see, it was the filling of the Holy Spirit. The consequences was that even within the church, God was using that to meet the problems. We find that as we read on down, we find the consequences on the persecution of Stephen, and we won't read through all that. But Stephen, during these persecutions, when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, we find his message, and he stands there, and he boldly proclaims the Word of God to them. And he tells them precisely that they need to be saved, that they need to put their faith in this one called Jesus. We find that the result of his message is recorded in chapter 7. Notice what it says in 54, And when they heard these things... They were cut to the heart. <laughs> they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. <laughs> They're cut to the heart, and then they attack him and start biting him. <laughs> because, man, they do not like. He's just stood there, and he's told them that they're lost sinners and that they, they need the Lord Jesus Christ. These that have control over his life. And yet, because he's not being controlled by fear, he's not being controlled by his own fears or his own possessions in this life, he stands there and proclaims to them the truth that they need to hear. And yes, they are cut to the heart. And they lash out at him because they are under conviction. But notice verse 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, he was still filled. 
looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name is Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Stephen, he was chosen because he was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost. He was chosen to care for the problems in the church because he was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost. But because of being a man that was full of the Holy Ghost, they didn't like his message. They didn't like the Jesus that was being seen through him. And so, yes, he was called before these leaders, and he was threatened for his life, but he continued to proclaim. And even when they turned on him and when they had him there to take his life, the Bible says he looked up into heaven. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. And his prayer is very similar to our Savior's as he hung on the cross. Because as Jesus hung there, as they nailed him to that, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's Stephen being stoned to death, but he's full of the Holy Ghost. He's full of God's Spirit. He's holy, holy, controlled by God. And therefore, these very ones that are taking his life for witnessing of Christ, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Don't punish them for what they are doing to me. You see, the Christ-likeness is coming through this man as he's there. Do you think that might have had something to do with that one that was there with him? Notice in the next chapter in verse 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death. The Apostle Paul, that's okay. <laughs> A good thing that you put in Stephen to death. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, what did they do? Went everywhere preaching the word. (laughs) They've been driven out of the homes. They've been driven out of their cities. But what is the result? They go everywhere preaching the Word, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the truth which they've been persecuted. We find that the consequences of being holy filled with the Spirit of God. Of course, on the preaching of Philip. Remember, Philip is also one of those same ones that was chosen with Stephen for being a man full of the Holy Ghost to be a deacon in that first church. And then we find in chapter 8, verses 5 to 8, we find Philip preaching in Samaria. In verses 9 to 25, we find Philip preaching to Simon the sorcerer. In Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, we find Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. What's happening as a consequence of being filled with the Spirit of God? Jesus is being seen in their lives, whether they're the apostles, whether they're the deacons in the church, or whether they're the people that's been scattered abroad and run out of everything that they've got. 
The result is the same. Christ's work is being accomplished through them. Christ is continuing to reach out and to save the wretched souls, which was his purpose in coming. And it was the purpose in which he promised to leave his Holy Spirit, to give his Holy Spirit when he went away. That he, Christ, might live in us and control us and be able to use our lives to accomplish his work. And that is precisely what we see going on here. And men get all kind of fanciful ideas to get the focus I'm saying to you this evening. Folks, the world around us is lost and dying and going to hell. And there's nothing that we can say that's going to change that. There's nothing that we can do that's going to change that. Only if they see Christ in us. They've got to see something more than us. Yes, we can love them greatly. We can care greatly. We can cry great tears. We can do all of these things. But I'm saying unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, unless He has control and His Christ is being seen through us, they don't have a hope. They don't have a prayer. And it doesn't matter how much it hurts us. It doesn't matter how much that we care. It's only if they see Jesus Christ that anything can be done about it. And, of course, we looked at the consequences on the Apostle Paul, (laughs) the same one that was here consenting to the death of Stephen when he was being stoned. We find him again in chapter 9, as we see here, persecuting the church. But then in chapter 9 and in verse 17, we find that something happened to Saul. Something happened to Saul. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) You see, Saul was converted at this point. He's still blind from his conversion on his way to Damascus. He sends this one in that he might be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you can read on down and you can read on through what did God accomplish through the Apostle Paul? Not because of who Paul was, but because of who Paul was controlled by. Because God took control of this man's life. And we could read so many things there. And then, of course, as we looked at all these consequences, we said that as you go to 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, and if you carefully see what the Apostle Paul told them under inspiration concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Folks, don't get your focus off. They had their focus on the least of the gifts, and they were being prideful about it. The same thing happens today. Too many people get focused on the least of the gifts. I said this morning, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God gifts every child of God. But I also believe that there were signed gifts of the apostles that they had because they were apostles, because of who they were, because they didn't have the Word of God yet. And what we need to do is instead of being worried about whether so-and-so is doing this or so-and-so is doing that, we need to be worried about whether we've truly, wholly, completely submitted and surrender ourselves to the Lord, that God might be able to take complete control of our lives and use us with whatever giftings that He chooses to accomplish for the good of the whole, not for one or two. 
as we looked at this before, I finished up with a couple of things, and I said that I wanted to say kindly but firmly that as we have looked at these passages, I have no ulterior motive than to know God's truth. And I'm saying to you, look, look at all that God says about any subject. And what we find here is that the reason that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that because Jesus Christ himself, when he came to accomplish his work upon this earth, he promised that it was important, that it was necessary. He said that it was expedient that he go away so that he could send the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at those those seven things that we picked out, and you can possibly find some, some others. I'm not trying to be exhaustive. I want you to understand this is what clearly from those passages that Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit for this reason. This is what he's going to do when he comes. And then we look as that is fulfilled. And we look at every instance in the Bible that he speaks of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And yes, there are those that take places out of context and they say that it's something that happens subsequent to salvation and they say you're supposed to start begging and pleading and asking for it and all of these things. Well, I don't see it in God's Word. I'm challenging you. Look at God's Word of what He says. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that can only take place by becoming a child of God. Then you become a part of the body. But folks, once that's happened, it is God's command that you be filled with the Spirit, that you continually be wholly filled with the Holy Spirit, that He have absolute, complete control of your life. You see, it's not going to keep you out of heaven if he doesn't. But you've heard me say many times from many places in many different ways, God has a purpose and a reason for your life, and he has a purpose and a reason for this church. And we can take control of our own lives, and we can take control of this church if we want, but it won't be the Lord's purpose that's being accomplished then. He needs complete control of our lives all the time. Our act, the act of our will, it's not an easy one when you just submit yourself. Okay, I'm taking my hands off. Lord, you have control. You do what you want to do. Lord, I am not going to get in the way. Are you genuinely willing to let God have absolute control of your life? I want to tell you, we've seen what he promised, and we've looked at the consequences, and I challenge you, don't get sidetracked on a lot of these side issues that many do today. The consequences was that the work of Christ was continuing to be carried on through these lives as he controlled these lives and was able to do through them what he came to do. And that's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is all about. God willing. Next Sunday morning, we've looked at the consequences that are recorded in God's Word that took place where the Word of God says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what happened. And as we keep those things in mind, God willing, next Sunday we want to look at how do those consequences move into our lives? What are the consequences on my life if God's really got control? What's that going to do? And what are the conditions? What are the conditions? 
that I must meet for God to take control. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, again, we know Lord, that we've skimmed several sermons and a lot of material in a short time, but Lord, the purpose is to try to help to bring our focus back. Lord, into this great area that we've been studying and looking at in your word, God the Holy Spirit. As we understand who he is and what he's doing amongst us, and Lord, as we understand appropriately why, Lord, that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we need the filling of the Holy Spirit and we need these things in our lives. Lord, I know that there's much confusion about these things today. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to back off from these wonderful truths because some have abused them in the wrong way. Help us not to be guilty of trying to put God in a little box that suits us and that our lives somehow are suiting us instead of just continually submitting and letting you have control that your power might work through us, that you might accomplish through us what we will never accomplish ourselves. Lord, may you accomplish in the lives of even just a few people that would genuinely submit themselves wholeheartedly to you, what you can accomplish in a church. Lord, we live in a dark time in a dark place. We need your work amongst us, not ours. We need more than just good intentions and religious ideas. We need the power of God working amongst us in a way that it can only be you, that only Jesus is seen, that he's accomplishing that which is impossible for us. Lord, I pray. I pray that somehow that these would not be words that would just be like water off of a duck's back to, to so many, but that they might find a resting place in their hearts, or that they might change us, because that's what your word is supposed to do. And Father, that even here tonight, Lord, in my weakness of trying to do so much so quick that, but Lord, in some of this, you can take and find a place, Lord, to use these words. They help them find a place in our hearts that the work of Christ might be accomplished in we that are gathered here tonight. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.